welcome to Behind the Block, a podcast dedicated to NCAA and Nebraska volleyball. My name is Derek Harrington, and I'll be your host as we discuss and analyze college volleyball. As this is the first inaugural episode of Behind the Block, I'd like to give you all some information about myself. I'm a big volleyball fan. I've grown up around the sport for basically the majority of my life. While I'm a diehard Nebraska fan, I do appreciate watching college volleyball as a whole, and that also extends to the men's side, as well as a few Division II and NAIA games. Some would probably classify me as a volley nerd because I have over 400 games recorded, and I will frequently go back and watch them because every time I watch an old game, I always learn something new, either with strategy or I might catch something that the commentators were talking about that I pick up on. But that's enough information about me for now. Let's just get to talking about volleyball, which, ironically... I'm recording this during the off-season for the women's side of the college game. So this first episode is going to be more of a recap of the 2023 season. I think this past season was a springboard for things to come, hopefully. It was a record-setting year all across the board. And I have a guest later on, Lincoln Arneal, and we are going to discuss several different topics, such as storylines that were coming into the season, records that were set, both on the TV side and attendance-wise, maybe some teams that we thought struggled or did better than we anticipated, and a couple of other nuggets in there as well. And then I'll wrap up giving my thoughts on the NCAA tournament as well as the Division II tournament. So the first topic that I want to get to, I don't think anybody should be shocked to hear that Nebraska hosted a volleyball game at Memorial Stadium and broke a world record for the most attended women's sporting event in the world. Even though this event was a huge storyline going into the year, I could probably spend a whole episode that's two hours long just on that topic alone. So I think I'll just cover the main basics and then move on to the other topics. Again, there are tons of videos and articles out there, so if you are interested in learning more about it, you can take a look at those as well. But just for my thoughts on Volleyball Day, a couple of days before the athletic department announced it. I already knew that it was going to happen, and I can't even begin to describe how pumped up I was. I probably watched that hype video that they did with the announcement at least 200 times. And then, of course, the next thought, in my mind anyway, was, God, I hope it doesn't rain. What are the chances in August when it's usually 90 degrees out that it would rain on that day? This would be the day it would happen. As it turns out, it didn't. My next thought immediately following that was what would be the reaction across the country to us announcing that we're going to do this. And I don't think it's any shock that people inside the volleyball community were both excited about it, but also kind of shrugged it off as well. It's just kind of an attention seeking. While that may be true, I also think volleyball needed that because right now volleyball is more of a niche sport in the United States in terms of who watches it which is thankfully changing, but I think Nebraska announcing this just showed the rest of the country that there's potential in this sport. And the attendance and TV numbers that followed in the 2023 season proved that. And again, I don't think you can underestimate the impact that it had around the world. We had numerous international news organizations here. The major US news organizations covered it. Where I work, I heard people talking about volleyball, and they had never talked about it before. So it did generate quite a bit of good interest, and I think that is only a positive. Like I said, I could talk for 
easily two hours on this subject, and I have to family members before, so I don't want to get you guys all dragged into that. Just kind of moving on, I think we'll go into the segment that I had with Lincoln Arneal, who covers Nebraska volleyball for various organizations, and we discussed several different topics. We are joined here on Behind the Block with our first guest, Lincoln Arneal. Lincoln covers Nebraska volleyball for Huskers Illustrated. He's also a co-host of the Volleyball State Podcast. And I believe you cover national stories for Volleyball Magazine and vote for them too. Is that correct? Yes, I am a member of their uh, weekly media poll and help select their All-American team. So whatever uh, Lee with Volleyball Mag needs me to do, I can pitch in and help out. That's cool. Would you want people to know how to find you on social media? Sure, yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at Lincoln underscore VB. Or um, if you like threads, I guess I'm on threads at Lincoln A underscore VB. But Twitter, I'm a lot more active there. And that's where kind of I do all my first draft of all my all the news goes there. So, yeah. All right. On this first episode of Behind the Block, I'm just doing a recap of the 2023 season. So I guess I'll just start this off with uh, some of my stories that I had going into the season before any games are played. For instance, going into the season, I thought there would be a big gap between Stanford and Wisconsin and the rest of the field, just, you know, based on like how much experience and talent they brought back compared to the rest of the field. And what I was interested in seeing was if the other schools would be able to close the gap by the time the NCAA tournament came around. They Both of those teams were good, but especially Nebraska came out of nowhere and, and there was no gap really to begin with. Yeah, no, I think those those were kind of the two teams based on what they were returning rosters. Both were very experienced and had a lot of high level elite players coming back. And I, I agree with you, yeah, that both Stanford and Wisconsin uh, were kind of the, the favorites to be uh, in the national title hunt. I think I think they were one two. I mean, Texas might have been up there too, but Texas had some uh, big shoes to fill with Logan Eggleston leaving. But yeah, then like you said, Nebraska really was a lot of question mark because of their youth and. We found out very quickly that uh, some of those questions were going to be answered a lot sooner than many people expected. Yeah, Texas was another storyline they had going in. Like, how did they replace Logan Eggleston and Zoe Fleck, among others? I mean, that was a star-studded team. And I was kind of interested to see, you know, how long it would take for them to find their groove. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, it basically took until the Sweet 16 NCAA tournament for them to find their groove. Yeah. Because they, they came out that first weekend and they lost to Long Beach State. And that really kind of piqued everyone's interest. Like, oh, Texas is going to struggle. And I think that, that was a result of Emma Halter, who was playing libero, who I think she kind of settled into that role to take the place of Zoe Fleck. And then they were starting a freshman setter that really kind of, uh, it took a while for her to uh, to get settled in as well, too. So not, not to jump ahead, but yeah, they faced their season was going to end earlier than everyone anticipated, but they really, the pieces were there. The talent, Madison Skinner has been, I mean, she won a national title over freshman year too. So she's been an elite player for a number of years, but when you lose a national player of the year, like Logan Eggleston, it's, it's not a uh, quick fix. Not many teams have just another potential national player of the year waiting in the wings to take over. So it was, yeah, Texas was another question mark and, uh, and then Pitt returned a lot too. So there's, really the top five teams to me, I think like there was a, there was an elite class of teams and then like maybe ran about seven or eight teams deep. But, um, but then there was kind of a drop off of the, the next tier. But I think that going into the season and early on 
there was a group of about eight teams that really had a chance at the, at the national title. Yeah, and, and in those group of eight teams, there were quite a few teams that were going to rely on freshmen in the starting mm-hmm. line, which was another interesting storyline. I mean, like Nebraska, obviously – relied heavily on freshmen. I was particularly interested to see how Chloe Shacoin would fare at yeah. Purdue, especially in the Big Ten. And then Pitt had National Freshman of the Year and another freshman on the outside, too. So the freshman class this year was pretty deep. And, and that's also Kennedy Martin at Florida, too. She was looking yeah. like a potential National Freshman of the Year till unfortunately, her setter got hurt. And that kind of, I mean, she still put up really great numbers, was an All-American down there. But um, when you lose your setter and there's kind of a, your offense takes a step back, the numbers hurt her, but she was another, yeah, elite freshman all over the country too. And I think that's what coaches now expect when they're recruiting you is you're going to come in day one, compete for playing time, but goodbye adjustment period. You better be ready to go because a lot of these people are also enrolling a semester early to get used to the academic side. So when the school year starts in the fall with the season, there isn't a big adjustment. They're just focusing on volleyball. They they got the college thing down by that point. Yeah, I was going to mention that that nowadays you see a lot of freshmen enrolling early in January. And, you know, even maybe, well, definitely about 10 years ago, you didn't see anywhere near as many freshmen either enrolling early or starting. And yeah, I, I don't think you can go back 10 years, I mean, five years ago, too. I think, I mean, I don't know if it's kind of a trickle down of seeing what football's doing or what, because it's another fall sport that, you get to practice with the team a little bit in the spring. And like, like we said, get the academic side nailed down that uh, it really boosts it, uh, boosts their possibility to contribute early. Yeah. And I think there's also uh, several of the college coaches have mentioned it, but the level of club play and mm-hmm. coaching is so much higher now that freshmen are just coming in ready to play. Whereas, you know, several years ago, that wasn't the case. You might have a couple of freshmen here and there who were just naturally gifted. They can jump in right away. But now so more than then, that's kind of the uh, normal rather than the exception. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that's just a sign of the overall growth of the sport, too. You're getting a lot lot more elite coaches uh, helping out the club level. Uh, And it's not just something to do during the offseason to stay in shape. There's a lot of skill development going into that. And so I agree. Yeah, the the club scene has also picked up a bit, too. So that's then translating directly into uh, the college college world. That's, that's a lot smaller gap between the between the two. Mm-hmm. Did you have any other things that you were interested in looking in before the season started? Oh, I think that it, I mean, this happened. I remember I was at the Big Ten Media Days the first week of August. That was like Tuesday, Wednesday, and then the Friday. That's when all of the uh, conference realignment stuff kind of broke. So I think it was going to be interesting to see how that would. Uh, impact some some races I mean, it was going to be the last pack 12 big race for them so who's going to really double down and put their uh, stake on that claim and then the last year of texas and the big 12 i mean the sec has kind of grown a little bit but uh it's going to be interesting i wanted to see how texas would do in their last kind of go around with that so uh it nationally i think that was another interesting move too to see how conference realignment what coaches were kind of relished the one trip last trip to Corvallis or uh, last trip to Austin, Texas. So I, I think that had a little bit of uh, um, color to the season as well, too, just the last go around for some of the conference rivalries. Yeah, for sure. And I was interested in seeing if Texas would be able to win the Big 12 again with influx of teams. I was a little disappointed that the top contender early on against them, BYU, had to play there twice. 
I would have liked to have seen a home and home with them personally, but that's just how the schedule fell for them. Yeah, Texas had a very favorable schedule. I think they they hosted Kansas, BYU, um, Central Florida, maybe all the other potential Big 12 contenders all had to go to Austin or had like a single play for Texas. So um, for as much for as much as uh, Nebraska gave the grief to the Big 12 about uh, when they exited football, not getting a very kind schedule, the Texas volleyball team, they got a good schedule, but I don't know how much of that. I mean, Texas was also the class of the league too, and kind of showed um, the talent that they had was really elite level as the season wore on. Yeah. And I guess a couple of more stories that I had, not necessarily at the end of the year, kind of more as the season progressed was one, I did not see Florida being as good as they were early on and had Stucky and the other players not got hurt. Were they the best team in the country? They had certainly had the wins. To prove yeah. It. I mean, they, they went into Stanford, beat Stanford. I think they beat Texas too. And uh, yeah, I mean, you saw, I mean, Alexa Stuckey was a really, she was an All-American as a freshman last year and really kind of raised her game too. And like having Kendi Martin um, and a couple other, I think they had another freshman who also got injured. I'm blanking on her name, but she got injured uh, throughout the course of the year too. But yeah, injuries just, they did Florida wrong. And, uh, but yeah, they were, I mean, that first month of the season, it was like, the Gators are looking like a uh, Final Four team. Finally, get Mary Wise maybe a national title run, but it was not a not a not a good year for Gainesville. Yeah, I would have been very interested to see how Florida would have handled the pressure as the season went on, starting getting mm-hmm. hype, maybe being the best team in the country. The Final Four is in your state. We've seen Nebraska be able to get back to Omaha. We've seen Washington get to Seattle. We've seen Minnesota fall before Final Four. Obviously, Florida didn't get there this year, so. Yeah. A lot of teams want to host a Final Four, but I don't think they quite realize the pressure that's involved in the whole season oh, yeah. getting there. That's what I mean, talking to just kind of being around Nebraska when they've made the Final Four, knowing that kind of when when it's in Omaha, there isn't a, a, a lot of extra people who are rooting for you, but they also have a financial stake in it too because they've paid money for these tickets and want to see you play in front of a home crowd too. So they're, I mean, when the final fours in your backyard, there's some extra, extra, extra pressure. Like you said, that, that comes along with that. It's not easy. So um, it would have been interesting to see. I I really wish Florida can stay healthy to see what they're capable of too. So hopefully they can bounce back next year and uh, see what, see what their, see what their potential is. Yeah. And next year Louisville gets to burden the pressure of the final. Literally. Well, some of their games they play in the KFC Young Center, but in their hometown anyway. Yeah, their home. I mean, it's the hometown crowd. I mean, just yeah, they they play well in both arenas too, and uh, it's good to see that they can. Uh, that's I, I, they, Nebraska went there for the regionals last year too. It's a good arena, and uh, when they get Louisville gets that place packed, it gets to be a. Uh, it's a good environment for volleyball. Mm-hmm. I also did not see Minnesota struggling as much as they did, especially because Keegan Cook came from Washington. He made the Final Four. Mm-hmm. He just about took out Texas in the regional semifinals in 2021. So it's not like he's, you know, chopped liver or anything. He's a good coach. So I was kind of shocked yeah. to see their struggles. Yeah, for sure. And they had the reigning Big Ten uh, player of the year coming back. So they had their returning setter and uh, Jenna Wentz, not Jenna West, uh, Michaela, Jenna Wentz left, but Michaela Wooker uh, was also, I mean, a top prospect coming out of high school. So they, I mean, yeah, the ingredients were all there, but they just never fit. And I think uh, a lot of that, came down to their Melanie Shaftmaster, their setter, just watching her and she never looked fully healthy too. And 
Um, just the intensity wasn't there. So I don't know if the, the disconnect of going, Hugh McCutcheon's a great coach and Keegan Cook runs a little bit different style of program. And there, if there was a disconnect there or what the issue was, but yeah, I, I, I agree. They were one of the more underachieving teams of the year based on their talent. They came around late and got, got in the tournament, but um, it, it just, it never seemed like it fully clicked for Minnesota. Yeah. And I guess shifting back a little bit to Nebraska, what were your expectations of the freshmen or how quickly did you think they would be able to adjust? I knew that they were very talented and we kind of got a glimpse of this in the spring match where they played up in central city against Wichita state. <clears throat> um, Bergen Riley just came in with a lot of pedigree. And I think that uh, Nebraska, no matter who they chose, I mean, John cook kind of said the battle was going into fall camp, but just watching uh, what we saw, uh, at that spring match too, and some some of the matches in the Brazil that were streamed, Bergen just had a I think she had a higher ceiling and just was just a steadiness that is we saw throughout the course of the season too. It turned out to be true, but just her potential I think was a lot higher and just you wondered if she would be able to handle that and she did too. So um, same thing with Harper Murray, just her and Andy Jackson I think are such athletic freaks that it was going to be very difficult to keep them off the court. Even with Maggie Mendelson and Becca Alec returning in the middle, uh, Andy Jackson was just is such raw potential. And even though she'll make a mistake, she won't get a block assignment every single time, but her potential is just, she's just scratching the surface. And I remember watching a couple of plays in that central city match, like they're going to have a hard time keeping her off the court. So uh, yeah, and Lainey Troboy, I think Lainey Troboy had the most defined role of anybody coming in. Uh, Lexi Rodriguez was going to be the libero. I mean, she's one of the best in the nation, but they really needed that second defensive specialist on the court. So I think she had the clearest path. So I think, again, but all of them really, <clears throat> really had a big impact from the day. And even Caroline Jurevicius, I was slightly disappointed, didn't get to see her on the court at all, but she, she was hyped up and has a lot of potential too. And Nebraska will get to see that across the net when she goes to can't goes to Penn State. So wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all of them very talented. So I, I just rambling. What, what what were your thoughts kind of watching the freshmen as they progressed? Um I knew they were good, but I didn't know how quickly they'd be able to adjust to the college level because that's a huge step. Now, with that said, they did have a lot of experience internationally. Bergen played on the senior national team, so she did have some high-level experience. And going into the season, especially with Merritt transferring in, I kind of figured it would take a while for everybody to gel together. And I was not anticipating a win at Stanford, honestly. If we had yep. kept it close, I would have been happy because I said, you know, these freshmen are going against a senior-laden team, a very good senior-laden team, Final Four oh, yeah. contender. And then once they won that game, I'm like, okay, this this team is for real this year. We have something. For sure, yeah. I think that that put, really put Nebraska on the map as far as uh, being a national contender. I mean, uh, Kendall Kipp was one of the best players in the nation too, and they got a couple other really great outside hitters. And uh, Kami Miner was one of was one of the two all, first team All American setters. So I mean, like you said, they were just loaded with talent. But when ne Nebraska uh, really went in and just kind of, I mean, they looked like the better team. They looked like the more savvy team watching that. And it was. It was in Stanford, so it wasn't that big of a uh, crazy environment. But that that really, to me, I I was also expecting Nebraska to lose because, like, when they played 
uh, out at Stanford two years ago when the juniors, so when like Lindsey Krause, Batenhorst, um, and Lexi were all freshmen, um, kind of threw them to the wolves and they took their lumps, but I think that was a learn good learning environment for them. I expected the same thing this time around, but the freshmen just were not going to be denied. They looked like they belonged and they looked like the more talented and the more aggressive team out of the two teams on the court. So uh, yeah, that really, that really kind of, that was a first instance of like, Oh, there's something special going on here. So that was a, a really big kind of uh, turning point in the season, I think for Nebraska. And I think we saw that throughout the season that the bigger the stage, the bigger the team that they were playing, the more they showed up, which for sure is also probably a tendency of freshmen to learn how to be consistent every game all the time. Yeah. It's easy to do that for the get up for the big games and kind of ride that emotion. Like you said, like the freshmen do that. But I remember talking to Merritt after the K-State one. I mean, K-State was not as talented as Stanford, but they, I mean, that was the second match ever in their brand new arena. It was packed to the gills, <clears throat> a very, I mean, hostile environment as, as hostile as it can be in volleyball, I guess. But, uh, they really answered the bell with that too. And and Merritt said they, they, they liked being in that environment. They liked quieting the crowd and really kind of proving in all the doubters across the net and in the stands that they, they can do this. So uh, that was, yeah, the definitely a theme of this team too, is they rose to the occasion and really um, thrived in those adverse situations. And another storyline of the 2023 season that, really can't be ignored it's just the attendance numbers across the country that were shattered obviously i think everybody by now knows about the stadium match and everything that entailed with that but more so there were 32 division one schools across the country that set new school records for attendance unk in division two set one as well as the division two record uh, there are two mm -hmm. in division three university of wisconsin oshkosh and north central college and then Colorado State and Ohio State also broke student attendance records. So all across the board, attendance records fell like crazy. I think that just shows the popularity of the sport, too. I mean, you talk about that, the 92,003 people at the Memorial Stadium match. That really, I mean, <clears throat> I don't I don't know how much. I mean, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm probably too close to it and realize that I, volleyball is a great sport. People should be watching this, but so it doesn't pop on my radar like it may for people who aren't paying as a close of attention but I, I i would be interested in talking to a lot of them and just see like how much that match may say oh i'm gonna go to my local university or local school and check this out too or just schools realize that if you market this you got a great product people will show up so i'm, I'm hoping it's a little bit of that too so it's that way it's a little more uh sustainable and kind of this is this one year just wasn't a blip and it continue that growth so we'll see if schools continue to I, I hope they do and i think they will continue to invest in the marketing side of things and making it a fun environment and getting those more attendance records broken and i personally i'm really happy to see how many sellouts there were like obviously nebraska sells out wisconsin sells out minnesota has in the past purdue because they play in small gym they sell out florida had a their match against wisconsin was sold out Texas has some sold out matches here and there. I think when Texas played at Houston, one of those, if not both of them, were sold out. And they were probably. Yeah, I know. I think the first one was. I think, remember, they pushed the first one a lot, too. So, yeah. And then, of course, hey, but Wisconsin I and Marquette at the Pfizer form set yeah. the indoor record. Indoor record. <laughs> 
didn't realize we had to qualify this now, but apparently we do after you play a match in the football stadium. So yeah, you got to put an asterisk next to that indoor record. It's different. But I think the other cool thing too, is, I mean, you, you, you named off a lot of marquee programs too, but like you look at like Indiana, a team that doesn't have a lot of history, but they're selling out their matches. They're getting, they're setting uh, records like that. Um, Missouri too. They, they, I remember we talked to their coach, they came up to Nebraska for the postseason. Their numbers jumped up a lot too. Arkansas. They had a great year too. So it's not just the marquee ones. I think it's that is the key to the growth of the sport is that, second tier if you will programs who maybe don't have a lot of history they're still putting out a good product they're finishing the top half of their conference i think that's to me the really exciting part of seeing those numbers grow and those numbers get up there too so i i think there's a lot of potential for growth in that yeah i was looking at the missouri numbers earlier today if i remember correctly or at least in the ballpark they averaged 611 in 2022 and jumped to 2000 something this year as an average so that's a huge increase yeah and i think too it's schools are getting a lot smarter about where they're placing these two because a lot of times they may put put them in their secondary or their third gym which only seats a couple thousand people but you see like even at michigan michigan played a lot of their matches in the chrysler center michigan state played in the breslin center so they're they're playing a lot bigger in uh stadium or arenas and also they're they're making it a better environment too so it's it's a great trend to see, and it all capped off in the Final Four, which down in Tampa, I mean, that set uh, records for uh, postseason attendance as well, too. I mean, you get these nice, these good hockey arenas that can fit 17, 18, 19,000, um, and fans are showing that. I mean, you get a lot of marquee programs like Wisconsin, Nebraska, and Texas. That gets a lot of casuals there, too, but uh, it's good to see those numbers stay up there too and continue to. I think their postseason numbers are now getting limited by the size of the arena and not by the attractiveness of the matches. Yeah. And I I guess one thing that I'm kind of interested in is where does it go next year? Because you you know, you can't continuously climb forever. There's only a you know, eventually you're gonna plateau. And like Nebraska this year, how many record crowds or record TV? viewership numbers were they a part of like almost every game on the road was a school record for the opposing team and yeah and i think looking at the numbers the tv numbers i think was it 14 of 20 of the top 20 broadcasts were all all involved either nebraska or wisconsin i think something like that um but i think again it's, it's that second tier that's really kind of where the growth is or you look at what nebraska does nebraska's sold out 300 matches too. So who's the next school to start that sellout streak and kind of have that sustained success. Um, and I think that's where you start seeing, like you see, look at Nebraska is the model for other schools. Nebraska is making money off the sport of volleyball because they have, they have a sellout. They charge donations for people to come to matches. They have luxury boxes too. So uh, that you hope other programs start to emulate that, get a sellout streak. Uh, who's going to be the, I, I don't know Wisconsin, if they have a sellout streak too, or who's going to be the next school to get to a hundred, which is probably about three or four years of consecutive sellout. So I think that that's, that's where your growth is. Now that you've, you've got the peaks, but can you make that peak a plateau and, and keep that sustained success too? I think that's where the next challenge is. And I think the, the challenging part for other schools and starting a long sellout streak like Nebraska has is like Nebraska fans will show up for a game against Maryland Eastern shore or whatever, you know, but <laughs> other teams, even Wisconsin, they're not going to completely pack the gym for lower level teams like that. So 
if you want to sell start a sell off streak, I think you'd probably have to be a little bit more strategic in your scheduling mm -hmm. and scheduling the no namers, so to speak. And that, that's what John Cook really did too. I mean, they used to play a couple of matches per day. Like they would, and that's where kind of where the always sell streak was always in danger is that either that Friday afternoon or that Saturday morning when you bring teams in for those multi-team tournaments, is that it's that first match of the day that sometimes creates that problem of whether it's during a work day or it's kind of other people are busy with kids sports. So like, Oh, they're going to prioritize something else. But Nebraska volleyball has each match has become an event has become a spectacle. So people come to that and uh, it's built up kind of that cultural cachet that people want to be part of too. So uh, yeah, I agree that it's, you got to be smart about scheduling those matches too. And so you can, no matter it's, it's not necessarily about who's across the net. It's like, I'm going to go watch Nebraska volleyball. And I think that Nebraska has reached that and hopefully other teams will too. And then something I just thought of, we are recording this the day after the Nebraska women upset Iowa in basketball. We saw the Caitlin Clark effect with tons of Iowa fans feeling PBA. Yeah. I just kind of remember this year, especially at schools like Minnesota and Rutgers, there were a Stanford too. There were a ton of Nebraska fans at those games. I'm wondering if those are, you know, Nebraska fans that have always been there, or if they're starting to come out of the woodwork where it's like, oh, hey, my favorite player is Harper Murray and she plays for Nebraska and they're here. I'm going to go watch them, like a Caitlin Clark effect, so to speak. Yeah. I, well, we can debate on who started that effect, but yes, I, I agree. Uh, no, I, I think that that is part of it too, is that um, there's Nebraska fans everywhere. They want to watch a high quality product. I mean, Iowa, Iowa basketball, women's basketball is a high quality product. People want to see a generational star too. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know if Nebraska has generational stars, but they have really elite players. I mean, Lexi Rodriguez, one of the best in the nation, Harper Murray could be a future Olympian. Uh, so people want to come out to that and kind of see what is this all about too. And that's why uh, I think it was in Rutgers, there were club teams that were driving down from Boston to go watch Nebraska play there. And I mean, also Rutgers doesn't charge admission. So it's a little bit easier than you're paying. You do that at Minnesota and Wisconsin ticket prices on the secondary market was a hundred, $200. So uh, it's a little bit easier in some of these uh, lesser programs. And I know that I have friends that live in DC that, they make it's an annual annual thing now. And Nebraska plays at Maryland volleyball. They're going to watch. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it is kind of that it's that cultural cachet I kind of mentioned too. It's they want to see elite elite level play, and um, it, people will drive a couple hours to see it. So for sure. And just going off of that, Nebraska drove out the fans at opposing arenas, but they also drove up TV numbers and virtually yeah. almost every game they played like the Omaha game in the stadium set the BTN non-conference viewership record their game against Wisconsin set the BTN record Minnesota and Wisconsin set the all-time record for the regular season because of strategically playing it on NFL Sunday uh, mm -hmm. Nebraska Stanford is one of the highest rated games that ESPN's ever had in the regular season and the regional finals this year were the three highest rated regional finals in ESPN history. So those are really encouraging numbers moving forward. Yeah, I think they definitely are. And hopefully these networks are taking notice that these matches are drawing those numbers and, and do a couple of things. One, put more of them on TV Two, promote them. So mm -hmm. I, I think that's kind of, that's where a lot of people complain too is like yes they're getting good numbers on espn and abc for the final but 
you you don't see a lot of promotion too because maybe there aren't household names of like the common person the name harper murray or mayor beeson means nothing to them too so hopefully that there's more promotion so you can have i mean i think that's where women's basketball have done great with the caitlin clark the angel reese a lot of people a lot of casual fans know those names that's when the eyeballs i mean women's basketball is on abc and got more than nine million people watching it so um it it's the promotion side of things i think that can help drive some more numbers too but uh and hopefully again too then you're not just getting the uh, Nebraska, Wisconsin's, the Texas, the Kentucky's, uh, the Louisville's, their teams that are hopefully, again, you're getting, you're starting with that small group that does draw big numbers, but hopefully you're then growing, growing outside of that too. Yeah. I, I will be interested to see moving forward, how the TV networks do more strategic, strategic planning around game times. If schools schedule more intriguing matchups that can be picked up by TV networks and such like that. Yeah. I think that the one really thing that they may have, I don't know if they stumbled upon that, but is that Sunday afternoon has kind of become a volleyball window. I mean, yes, it's opposite the NFL, but I think it's great counter programming. Uh, crowds are showing up. Uh, and so I think hopefully they, I don't know if they stumbled onto it, but it's proven kind of to be a good window, a good time for volleyball that Sunday afternoon. Now, if they just wouldn't have to go against the NFL, that'd be another thing, but it, you take you you fight the battles that you can and you take the wins where you can too. Yeah. Well, I'd like to thank you for coming on here and sharing your expertise in some of these areas. And hopefully next year we have a whole bunch more stuff to talk about. You bet. It was all great to be on, Derek. And uh thanks for having me on and asking some great questions. No problem. That was my discussion with Lincoln regarding the 2023 season. I'd like to point out that in talking about the TV numbers, we did not mention that the semis were the most watched in history, and the final, which was on ABC, was also the highest rated game in history. So the game just continued and continued and continued to grow right on up through the end. One topic that we didn't have time to get to was the NCAA tournament. Just for some basics, if you don't know, the NCAA tournament in 2016 and moved away from predetermined regional sites into four regional sites hosted by the top four seeds in the tournament. Nebraska had only hosted the regional one time, which was the first year that this was implemented back in 2016, and they were able to host their way to the Final Four in Columbus. Now, because of this wildly successful year that Nebraska had, they got the overall top number one seed, and I don't think that can be debated by anyone. The other top seeds were Stanford, Wisconsin, and Pitt, and usually there's quite a bit of controversy over at least one host site. But this year, I don't think, there may have been a little bit of talk between should Louisville have hosted it or should Pitt have hosted it, but I really don't think there was all that much controversy this year. I mean, if you just look at the tournament as a whole, there really wasn't very many surprises or upsets. In some ways, some can view that as a detriment to the tournament because unlike March Madness, for example, where you have upsets left and right and it makes the tournament really exciting, this tournament didn't have many major upsets. Going into the Sweet 16, there were only three upsets. Georgia Tech over Florida, which could be debated whether or not that was an upset. I think a lot of people would 
agree that Florida probably shouldn't have been hosting and Georgia Tech probably should have been instead. But that's all in the past. Penn State won over Kansas and Arizona State won over BYU, which set up chalk in the regional rounds other than those three games. And in the regional rounds, we only had a couple of games that were, you know, really good. We had Tennessee and Texas that went five sets. Tennessee had Texas at match point in the fourth set before they lost a deuce set in the fourth set, and then they eventually lost a fifth set. And then in Lincoln, there was a third meeting between Arkansas and Kentucky, and a lot of people across the country thought Kentucky was going to beat Arkansas, and then they also thought that they were going to upset Nebraska. And to be honest, I didn't necessarily think that Kentucky would beat Nebraska, but I was very concerned about that potential game. And then Arkansas goes and pulls the upset, which watching Jill Gillian in person down low is something else. She max jumps every single time. The heat that she can put on the ball around huge blocks, that's just impressive to watch. Another thing following that Arkansas game was the head coach, Jason Watson, mentioned in his press conference the next day that after they beat Kentucky, he had a lot of texts and calls from club coaches across the state of Arkansas who were really excited about that, and he said he hoped that this game would only help grow the game of volleyball across Arkansas, which is not a big state for volleyball. Following that, Nebraska and Arkansas was the only game in the regional finals that was not a one versus two matchup. So if we started the day, we had Pitt versus Louisville. It was the third meeting of the year between the two. Louisville won the first match, 3-0 at Louisville. In the second match, Pitt actually reverse swept Louisville. And then here in the regional final, Louisville went up 2-0, and then Pitt did again. They reverse swept Louisville to go to their third straight Final Four, which is pretty impressive considering where the Pitt program has been just in the recent past. Following that game, we had Nebraska and Arkansas, which I think a lot of people thought might be one of the snoozers of the day just because Nebraska is the overall number one seed. Arkansas, in terms of physicality, can't quite match up to Nebraska. But what Arkansas does is they run maybe one of the fastest offenses in the country. And when you do that, you create huge gaps in the opposing team's defense. And Nebraska had to figure out how to overcome that, which they eventually did, but it was by no means an easy victory like some were anticipating. And then the following game with Wisconsin and Oregon, that one was maybe one of the most entertaining games of the day simply because one, the game featured a huge contrast in styles because you have Oregon who runs everything really fast and you have Wisconsin who's just monsters out in the court. You have Smirk out on the right side pin who's pretty big. You had Sarah Franklin who's unstoppable at times. Carter Booth in the middle. They're just monsters out there. And you also saw some great defensive plays, people diving into the crowd, long extended rallies, terrific digs, bombs. I mean, that was a very entertaining game. Plus, Wisconsin's crowd, this this might be a little bit of a hot take, but I think Wisconsin's crowd a lot of the times can be better than Nebraska's crowd. And I think a major reason for that is, one, I think the crowd skews a little bit younger compared to Nebraska's crowd. 
And two, they have a much, much bigger and much better student section compared to Nebraska, which isn't the students' fault in Nebraska. They just don't have much to work with how their situation is set up. And then to end the day, you had Stanford and Texas, which are two blue bloods of the program. And anytime those two teams play, that's a fantastic match. Now, to be honest, going into this game, I fully expected Stanford to win. This was the second year in a row that they were hosting regional finals, and they lost to San Diego in 2022. So I thought, being that this was Kendall Kipp's senior year, that she would lead their team to victory and send Stanford back to the Final Four. But instead, it was Texas who just came out and just dominated, which I don't think anybody saw going into the tournament. And then when you get to the Final Four, they just continued that run. They just dominated Wisconsin. They dominated Nebraska. In the other semifinal match, Nebraska swept Pitt, which was a little bit surprising. I just kind of thought that with so many freshmen out on the court, we would see a lot of nerves and maybe a little bit of reduced play between the two teams, but it was really only Pitt that had the reduced play. Nebraska's freshmen held up pretty good. After the Pitt game, before I even started to watch Wisconsin and Texas, I wasn't sure who I wanted to win because... On one end, if we played Wisconsin, we know that would have been a tough game. But we also have experience with them. We know exactly what we have to do. There wouldn't really be any surprises between the two teams. On the other hand, a lot of people were looking at, you know, if we play Texas, that's the easier matchup, so to speak, because they don't have the physicality that Wisconsin has. But in my mind, I was also thinking, well, if Texas would happen to beat Wisconsin, you have to be pretty good to beat Wisconsin at that stage of the game. And lo and behold, Texas dominated them, and then they dominated Nebraska on the way to winning their third national championship. So kudos to Texas. There wasn't anybody in the country that was going to be able to beat them at the end of the year with the way that they were passing and serving. They just went up to a completely different level. Another little storyline of the tournament that I didn't mention before was that this was the first year all three teams in Nebraska made the NCAA tournament. Omaha has been so close for a couple of years, losing in the championship game of the Summit League, and they finally were able to pull it out, and hopefully this will just continue to happen year after year after year. I'd also like to talk a little bit about the Division II tournament, and for those of you who don't know how that tournament is run, it's quite a bit different than a Division I tournament because it's regionalized. So you have like a central region and southeast region, et cetera. So if you were to translate that to Division I, for instance, the central region would be like Nebraska and Minnesota, Purdue, Creighton, Wisconsin, those teams. And the problem with this setup is not every team that is obviously deserving of getting to the tournament is going to make it. For instance, Wayne State plays in a ridiculous conference, probably pretty comparable to the Big Ten a couple years ago. They have multiple teams in the top 25. They have multiple teams in the top 10. And not all the teams can get into the tournament because there's only eight spots per region. So if your conference has you know six, seven, eight ranked teams, they're not all going to get in. And on top of that, Wayne State had to play the University of Nebraska Kearney in their second round, which UNK is always a perennial power in Division II. But they did beat UNK. They end up taking out Concordia St. Paul to get to Elite Eight. 
And then in the Elite Eight, they reseed teams. And Wayne State, who had been ranked number one for a large part of the season, somehow end up with the three seed. And their first opponent was actually the national champion. And that first round game between those two teams in Elite Eight was their closest game. So I hope in the future that the NCAA or whatever power takes over can fix that and give justice to Division II tournament. And then for the NAIA tournament, there were three teams from Nebraska that made the national tournament. We had Bellevue, Concordia, and Midland. And I would like to congratulate those three teams on making it as well. This will wrap up episode one of Behind the Block. I hope you learned something new and had fun along the way. If you have any ideas for a podcast topic, or if you have questions you want answered, or maybe you want to join me on this podcast, feel free to reach me at any of my social media handles on X at Nebraska Twister, Instagram at DH underscore Husker fan, or YouTube at Neb Twister 31. My YouTube page has a lot of Nebraska volleyball videos on it, as well as some other NCAA action. Feel free to check those out as well. Until next time, this has been Derek from Behind the Block. 